There's a sign here that says, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. Mahatma Gandhi. special episode for you. Today we're talking the Belize Zoo. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, uh, we took a trip to the Belize Zoo. On a hot, steamy Belizean day. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, but before we get into that, I want to mention that we have a website that we are consistently updating our progress on our homesteading project. Uh, it is duendebelize.com, D-U-E-N-D-E-B-E-L-I-Z-E.com. Feel free to check that out. We also have an Instagram. Check it out. Um, and I think it's just at duendebelize, or duende, God, I should know this. Do you know this? I don't know. You're supposed to be in charge of the Instagram. I think it's called duende. Okay. Um, in the meantime, uh, we have the walls of the new cabana have come up. Um, it is pretty majestic looking in the jungle. And uh, we're dealing with a lot of rain down here. So we've been digging trenches and stuff and trying to move water from one spot to another, which is an interesting uh, lesson in aquaphysics. Basically, Keen and I are buff now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> buff and thin. Um, Oh, our Instagram is called Radio... No, it's not. <laughs> okay, all right. Don't laugh into the microphone so loud. Sorry for those of you who just had their speakers Belize. blown out. I'm not the best, you know, computer person, but it is Duende Belize. At I'm Duende trying. Belize at Instagram, on Instagram. Do they do an at? At, yeah. Oh, my God. Welcome to the world, baby girl. No, I don't think it's at. It's just Duende Belize. Well, I guess that's up to the listener to figure out. Anyway... Hmm. Let's move on. Oh, I love animals. <laughs> and I appreciate any chance that I get to observe them doing their thing. I've been to plenty of zoos in the States, and while they're good for getting the chance to see some animals that I might otherwise never get to, zoos tend to leave me feeling pretty depressed. So sad. The enclosures are usually small and awkward, like they're trying to look like African jungle in the heart of Oakland. Uh, the animals are out of their element, like snow leopards in Los Angeles. You feel bad that these majestic creatures are locked up in captivity, sometimes thousands of miles away from their natural habitats. So when Camille and I went to the Belize Zoo, I was happy to find out that the zoo there is different. The Belize Zoo sets a precedent for what a zoo should be. Built on 29 acres and the pre-existing jungles of central Belize, the zoo's enclosures are not merely imitations of its animals' natural habitats. They are the real deal. The tapirs lumber about between the pines, 
The crested guan builds its substantial nest among the branches of the same trees it's been living in for thousands of years. The margays blend into the broadleaf rainforest just as they would if there were no separations between them and the wild. The walkways between the attractions were once footpaths and animal trails through the bush, recently paved over with the help of supporters and volunteers. The meandering tracks are so open to the natural environment that you are just as likely to see wildlife on your side of the fence as inside of the enclosures, to the point where you have to wonder just how many wild gibmet the crocodile has managed to munch on in its years in captivity. On top of this, all of the animals in the zoo, from the harpy eagles to the white-lipped peccaries, are native to Belize and were put in the zoo for rehabilitative reasons. No animals were shipped in from other countries simply as attractions. The residents were once pets which were confiscated. They were donated to the zoo. They were rescues who were found injured or orphaned or were born in captivity and could not survive in the wild on their own. Just pets out there, you know. Tiger kings and Like pets out there needing help and this lady just really came through. We went to the zoo on Saturday, June 4th, which happened to be the newly declared Sharon Matola Day, named after the zoo's founder and arguably one of the most interesting creatures that lived in the zoo. She passed away on March 21st, 2021, but her legacy continues to advance conservation in Belize and champion the rights of its animals. If we had lived in Belize in the 80s and 90s, Sharon is a person that we definitely would have mm -hmm. tried to be friends with. Her life was not a straight line, but a meandering path with many interesting events along the way, just like her zoo. If you look up the Wikipedia page of Sharon Matola, it has this to say of her early life. Okay, this lady just sounds so cool on her Wikipedia page. Yeah, and of course it's Wikipedia. We don't know how, <laughs> how you, if you can trust every word on it, yeah. but we'd like to believe that, you After know, reading this, we were like, dang, this lady is so cool. Part of her legend. Okay, so it goes, after graduating from high school, Matola enlisted in the U.S. Air Force, in which she received jungle training survival. Jungle Training Survival. Okay, let me just say I was a little dyslexic just now. In which she received Jungle Survival Training. She then studied Russian at the University of Iowa before transferring to the New College of Florida in Sarasota, from which she received a bachelor's degree in biology in 1981. While at college, she studied fish taxonomy during a trip to Belize. After college, she became an assistant lion tamer at the Circus Hall of Fame before attending graduate school to study mycology. She left graduate school for a job as an exotic dancer in a traveling circus in Mexico, hoping to do <laughs> biological field work during the day before dancing at night. What, cha -cha -cha. what a legend right there. Legend. Uh, what rooted her in Belize for the remainder of her life was a documentary movie t uh, that was filmed down there titled Selva Verde, filmed in 1982, which you can find on YouTube, which she worked on as an animal handler and consultant. After the filming wrapped, Matola was left there with 20 animals to deal with, while the remainder of the crew packed up and moved on. Unable to release these by then tamed animals back into the wild, and unwilling to simply euthanize them, Sharon decided right then and there to start the first version of what would later become the Belize Zoo by putting up signs on the roadside to attract visitors and asking for donations of food to keep the animals alive. She basically just had a backyard zoo that she set up herself where the enclosures had been stored 
like for the duration of the filming and just made it work for them. Yeah, because she loved them. She, I mean, from what we learned about her life is that she just really loved these animals and like that's what she cared the most about and there's no way she's going to let them get killed or... Uh, it's just cool. So someone who has so much love in their heart. Mm-hmm. Sharon soon realized that the majority of Belizeans coming to the zoo had some major misconceptions about the animals that lived in the wilds around them. Mythology surrounding the animals, misnomers and misunderstandings bred fear and contempt, resulting in a lack of concern for their dwindling numbers as more and more of the jungle is clear-cut for agriculture. For example, Belize's national animal, the Beard's Tapir, was once thought to skin people alive with its <laughs> trunk-like snout, despite being mostly a harmless herbivore. Give I, it up for my herbivores! I got to touch one of those trunk-like snoots the other day, and I still have skin. <laughs> Sharon modeled the zoo to be a place where the people of Belize could come and dispel any undeserved preconceptions and learn to appreciate and understand the beauty of these animals. Since the opening, the zoo now houses over 200 individuals of 48 different species and runs the Tropical Education Center for more in-depth study of wildlife, a problem jaguar rehabilitation program to reduce conflict between farmers and jaguars preying on their livestock, and a harpy eagle restoration program, which released its 14th harpy eagle back into the wild in 2009, as well as conservation efforts across the country. While we were visiting, we had the pleasure of speaking with the Zoo's Conservation Program Manager, Jamal Andrewin Bowen. Meeting Jamal, you could tell right away that he had a true love of nature. More than once during our talk, he stopped to excitedly point out birds that he spotted. It's in the heart of the Maya Forest Corridor. There's a little, sorry, there's a a striped-throated hermit behind us. Um, Sorry, a birder. So I'm also a birder, so I get easily distracted. So... Um, where was I? And his depth of knowledge of wildlife was remarkable. We asked him to talk to us about the zoo, about Sharon, and about the ongoing conservation efforts in Belize. Yes, so Jamal Andrewin Boone, um, and I'm the conservation program manager at the Belize Zoo. Uh, on the on books, everyone ha- everyone does way more than their written job description does, but um, technically, I'm, so I'm part of the, the senior management team at the zoo, so we oversee all the daily operations, so everything from um, staff, admissions, you know, the, the, the programs that generate income for the zoo, educational programs, so we, we jointly oversee all of that, but my, I'm specifically responsible for overseeing our education department, as well as programs that relate more broadly to conservation. So we have um, capacity building programs for teachers, for tour guides that are usually accredited by whichever entity is responsible for them. Um, and also now that the zoo is more, um, it's more heavily involved in landscape conservation. So we're in the heart of what is known as the Maya Forest Corridor. And it's just a massive landscape that connects the southern and northern protected areas. So it allows free movement of wildlife. So we literally outside the zoo have tapirs, jaguars, all sorts of animals just free roaming. Um, So the zoo, because we're in the heart of it, we have had almost 40 years of connecting with the communities that are in the corridor because it's not like a preserve, it's not a state park, it's a mixed landscape. So you have private landowners, you have rural communities, you have the zoo and NGOs, you have some government land, farms, all sorts of stuff. So we've kind of been um, the kind of massaging the social landscape, getting people um, exposed to the idea of a corridor and so on. So 
that's one of my main roles is ensuring those programs remain and then um, being part of the the effort to have the zoo preserve land like we've, we've purchased and put land into, into preservation so yesterday was um, our founder's birthday and, it, and we had a, a legal declaration or it's coming but Basically, the government is now declared the area around us the Sharmatula Wildlife Sanctuary. Yeah, it's amazing. That's and that's so been years in the making. That's right. As of June 3rd, the government of Belize has officially declared a 2,600-acre swath of land that includes the Belize Zoo and Tropical Education Center, as well as vast territory of jungle termed the Mayan Corridor as the Sharon Matola Wildlife Sanctuary. Yay, Honoring so Sharon's cool. life work by preserving a column of dense forest that stretches from the north to the south. This will allow wildlife to travel safely and in their natural habitat across the many diverse landscapes of Belize. Good job, humans. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's a good step in the right direction. But conservation is still a highly debated topic here. With immense areas of land being bought up by big conglomerations and clear cut to make way for monocrop agriculture. We asked Jamal about the zoo's response to these land grabs and the impacts that massive clear cutting has on the environment. The zoo and other partners have switched to trying to um, balance out the, the almost like this sprint for, for mass clearing of land by offsetting it with preserving habitat where we can. So there's large-scale purchases of landscape of pri uh, par already privately owned lands, so it's not taking away public lands because there's not much left. Um, a lot of the lands that we are acquiring were previously owned by entities or families, um, shareholders. So, you know, they've gotten their gains or they want to divest themselves of it, so we have to purchase it at cost and then put it into trust um, for the people of Belize for preservation, conservation, compatible uses like ecotourism, research, that sort of thing. So that's what it boils down to. Um, to mitigate the, the, the rising level of conflict, you have to kind of safeguard any wild areas you can to ensure at least there's some buffer and some, some reduction in the rate of deforestation we're seeing. It's, it's a hard sell and, and unfortunately it's, not always, it's usually not the farmers or the community's fault. Like they end up with all these animals that suddenly show up in their backyards after they've been displaced from a major clear-cutting event next door. So, you know, a rural community down the road have done like milpa and traditional farming for years, no big deal, small acreages, they let it regrow and it becomes forest again. And then a, a international, a foreign company or a big conglomerate moves next door, buys thousands of acres, clear-cuts it in a flash, and then all these animals are rapidly displaced yeah. in, in a very small window. And naturally they'll move into the next logical era, which is the vaguely you know, foresty village next door. So that's the reality. It's not their fault, but they end up paying the price. And then naturally, as you know, that's understandable, they become frustrated that they now have this, uh, they see that as a lethal issue where a jaguar is threatening their life or livelihood and they lash out. So it's, it's again, the, the ultimate solution is trying to race ahead of these um, large scale land grabs that are just turned into agriculture and monoculture and so on to balance it out with, with keeping these areas wild, to, to reduce the level of human-wildlife conflict over time. Such rapidly dwindling habitats result in more and more contact between the animals and their human neighbors. And in the case of jaguars, for instance, rising tensions can breed conflicts with violent outcomes. Again, it is misconceptions and misunderstandings that have led to the jaguars becoming the scapegoat 
and in many instances of missing or killed cattle. Jaguars that continuously target easy prey found on ranches are termed problem jaguars, and if possible are captured and relocated elsewhere. The zoo has a problem jaguar rehabilitation program to mitigate this issue, but as more and more forest disappears, more and more jaguars are having to resort to hunting near human settlements, and the zoo just doesn't have the space or time to house them all. Nor do they want to. Jaguars have just as much of a right to live free that the humans do. But unfortunately, they do not have the voices to protest when their territories begin shrinking. Excuse me, do you have a problem, Jaguar? <laughs> it's just so crazy. There's so many case studies um, of areas that have agriculture or ranching and you have a big predator. So you, you, know, you can swap the word Jaguar with lion, snow leopard, tiger and it's the same kind of scenario where um, the farmers are at odds with with the big the top predator of the day of the of the area even wolves in, in North America um, but what we found is that if you research it systematically a lot of the losses they incur are not all attributed to the top predator in the area there's um, ironically there's stuff like wild dogs like feral dogs that do attack cattle there's coyotes there's cattle rustlers that you know subtly just take a few from their neighbor and yes so well joke it's not just the four-footed jaguars it's the two-footed jaguars you have to worry about that are taking cattle but the when you have a scapegoat correct especially one so like iconic and yes and you know very visceral when so you everyone has a reaction whether negative or positive when they see uh, a jaguar so it's right. easy to say oh jaguar took my cattle right. so we've just we've tried to demonstrate this and look at ways of justifying um, allowing coexistence allowing like leaving forest edges for animals to pass through and what helps us is having allies like panthera and other research oriented groups that have gotten um, camera trap images that have can justify and prove this like they've gotten spectacular images of two jaguars walking you know you can see someone's house in the background and they're just taking a stroll uh -huh. and we have personally gone to interview those the, the house owner, homeowners that have dogs just hanging out in their yard and they have never had an incident so it's not a guarantee that just because you're sharing space with a jaguar case in point we have again wild jaguars out here we have right. dogs on our property they they're still here it's not guaranteed that they will attack there's certain um, there's certain scenarios or situations where a jaguar becomes problematic and it's usually they have some sort of injury, a handicap, so they've been shot, they have a broken tooth, a broken paw, their cataracts, whatever, and that inhibits their ability to hunt their regular prey and then they're marginalized because they're losing habitat, being outcompeted for food because they're not only competing against other top predators but also humans because uh, we, we hunt as well. So they, all these elements kind of force them into the line of sight of cattle and other easy prey and that's what they will start getting used to once right. those conditions are are just right unfortunately right. so we, what we encourage we you know where possible those that have the means to and the time and the patience is to experiment and and do less traditional methods of you know clear cutting and burning leave um, leave slips of forest or edges of forest where animals can cross yeah near your 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 property exactly because most animals to be honest they don't want to pass through a massive open area they are forced to if they can find a, a nice forest edge that that sloops around the village they'll take that rather than barging straight down main street walk in the runway yeah i guess like main street walk that runway well catwalk catwalk <laughs> 
One of the major setbacks facing the Belize Zoo when it comes to the jaguar rehabilitation program is the size of the country itself. Belize is not, we're not big enough to try reintroduction on a meaningful level because jaguars have massive home ranges. Mm -hmm. Once they need to seek food, they, that drives them to just keep walking. They, they, they occupy massive territories. Far away that they're unfamiliar with any of their surroundings. Exactly. And then... They just go straight back to where they know they're surroundings. Yes. And if you have a small um, landscape like Belize, you run the risk of putting that, you know, maybe previously dominant male into the territory of another. So you can't, you can't um, guarantee that you're not putting it into someone else's and displacing that new one or, or putting him at a disadvantage. So Jamal's answer to this is to educate the farmers so that they have a better understanding of these once mythical creatures and are less likely to fear or attack them and more likely to try to live and let live. Not an easy task to do, but one that is becoming more and more necessary as the jungle decreases in size. Finally, we asked Jamal where he saw the zoo heading in the future. He said despite COVID being a major setback, the zoo would stick to its principles. So the, the foundation has not changed. To this day and moving forward, the zoo will only ever house native wildlife. Despite the requests we get for kangaroo and hippo and elephant and everything on the sun. For, so first and foremost, we, we keep that, um, that, that foundation that we only house native wildlife and the way we get our wildlife stands, that they're only injured, orphaned, abandoned, confiscated from the wildlife trade. Mm -hmm. We have a few that are born here, but even that we've tried to mitigate because we're always on standby for to taking a, a rescue. We don't want to add to the burden. So where animals are breeding unnecessarily, we, we work that out, we separate and everything else. Um, and also we have received animals from other centers. So there are now, you know, now thankfully there's other specialized rehab centers in Belize. We're not the only ones anymore. There's ones that specialize in monkeys and birds of prey and um, uh, manatees. So there's certain animals that if we get, and they are potentially releasable, if we don't have the time and the resources to do it ourselves, we can hand it to our partners who are now similarly authorized by the forest department to do this kind of work and put them back in the wild. And in reverse, so if they get something that's non-releasable, like a bird with an eye missing or a broken wing, it comes to us. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, something that is exceptionally bonded to humans and is not a good fit for the wild, comes there. to zoo. Okay. So we've kept that and that will remain. Other animal rehabilitation centers are opening throughout the country, alleviating some of the growing burden that the zoo was previously tackling on its own. Programs are in place to continue education in the public on the importance of land conservation and animal protection although there is still a lot of ground to cover. In all though, the future of the zoo looks bright, even without its founder being there in person to guide it along. Cool. When you walk through the zoo, passing underneath whispering bamboo and dripping vines, you can't help but be charmed by the hand-painted signs in front of each enclosure white letters on dark brown wood, in a font that would probably be called wavy gravy or hippie swagger, the signs describe the animals, their importance to the ecosystem, and how they ended up in the zoo. Not all of the stories are happy ones. I'm Tambo the Tapir. Here's my story for you. My mama was shot, but I was saved by the zoo. But they all end at the zoo, where the animals are given a rare thing in this world, a second chance. Sharon made those signs herself, coming up with the silly couplets and painstakingly painting that strangely specific font on each board. 
She did it to begin the process of education for the people going to the zoo. She did it to start to bridge the gap between the animals that need second chances and the people who are in the position to give it to them. She did it out of love, and her love is still felt every time someone's eyes go wide when the jaguar looks directly at them, or when the harpy eagle flares its crest, or when the crocodile smiles thinking about the last gibnet it ate. When you visit the Belize Zoo, you feel the love there, which is all you can ask for from seeing these amazing animals. And if you're lucky enough to see a harpy eagle ripping apart some chickens at feeding time, that just makes the experience all the more awesome. Where are you going with all that chicken? I'm feeding the birds. Oh, okay. So I mostly work with the birds. The raptors? Um, these are for raptors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what did, what did you think of the zoo when you were there? I love the zoo. I, this is actually probably like my 20th time to the Belize Zoo. Oh, and wow. <laughs> like I love going there. It's It doesn't feel like any zoo that you're used to, or at least, at least the zoos I've been to in America, mm-hmm. where you go there and like you feel, you just feel sad because you're just like, wow, this like animal just looks depressed in this cage. Here, they, the animals are just in their natural habitat. It's kind of like... I don't know. It's a little iffy. Like you're like, could that jaguar yeah, jump totally. out and the, get me? <laughs> the enclosures are a little bit. Um, I mean, they've several of them have survived several different hurricanes, <laughs> and so uh, they they tend to rebuild them when they get uh, too damaged. But in the meantime, you're you're kind of like, man, if that if that tapir really leaned against that fence, it would come down. But luckily, they don't seem to want to run away. Yeah, the animals feel they. I don't know. You look at them and you don't. They don't look as depressed as other animals that right. you see. You know, like at the LA Zoo or yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like the jaguar is like the big draw, and when you go to see the jaguar, he doesn't. Yeah, he like he seemed content. He seemed happy. I mean, he's got a small enclosure in the front, but there are other jaguars that the the zoo has that are housed in the back like away from visitors and so i can only imagine that they've got more space to roam free back there because they've got you know another 29 acres of the zoo itself soon to be another 2600 acres um that you know these these animals have space and that's that's something that not every zoo in the states gives them yeah right I'd like to go back and do the night tour that they do. Oh, yeah, they do uh, a night tour there. That's 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 our next move. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool to see. Yeah, but, I mean, all in all, like, I, oh, I love s- going there. It's just, it's a cool place, and anytime like, someone comes to visit Belize, that's usually on the, my itinerary to take them to the Belize Zoo because you do get to see the animals, and um, it's just, it's, it's kind of magical there. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, another thing that they do with the jaguar is um, if you pay a little bit of extra money, what they do is they pull the jaguar back into a a holding cell for a second, a holding thing, and then you go inside the jaguar enclosure into another like cage that's in there, and you get in that cage, and then they release the jaguar back into his enclosure again. And so he jumps up, he, he knows this deal, he jumps straight up on top of the cage, so he is above you. And you're looking up at his claws sticking through that fence, and you can feed him little chicken chunks. You gotta come, you gotta come. Oh man, it is, uh, we did that, um, I guess, what was that, like a few years, years ago, ago, five yeah. years ago, 
And uh, our friend Chris Morsini, what up, Chris? Had his head licked by the jaguar and had a, a cat lick on his head after that. Only in Belize do these things happen. Yeah, right. Because um, they, I don't know, they, not everybody sues everybody to death here. Right, so correct. you can kind of do stuff like this. Uh, so if you're ever in Belize, you should definitely take the chance to go down towards Belmopan and check it out because yeah. it is, it's an experience that you can't get other places in the world. Yeah. And it's close enough to the airport where you could just, you know, go spend, if you have a later flight, you can go and spend like two hours there and, yeah. you know, click that off your yeah. list of things to see and do in Belize. Yeah. Totally amazing and worth it. And just that, well, it was just one person's determination and yeah. stick-to-itiveness and, and love for nature that created this thing that has just like kept growing and kept doing so much for Belize and for its wildlife is just a, it's a, it's amazing. It's just something to aspire towards and something to try to let influence everyone. Just goes to show, if you do anything out of love, it usually works out. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That's something to remember as we're doing all this crazy stuff down in Belize. Um, so one last word on Sharon Matola. There is a book called The Last Flight of the Scarlet Macaw uh, that is about her efforts to stop the Chileo Dam in Belize from being constructed. Uh, that was like late 70s, early 80s, I believe. Um, or maybe later than that. I could be getting my dates wrong. We just got the book, so we need to read it. The zoo was selling it. We bought it during that time to try to, you know, because I wanted to read it and to support the zoo. We also got some postcards. <laughs> you know, um, we love to shop, uh, especially it's, if it's for a cause. That's really nice. So I'm about to read that book. I'm excited. Um, if you are interested in, in Sharon herself, I think that there is, like, some more personal information on her in the book. Um and with the sound of a flock of pigeons flying away in the distance, we are going to end this episode. Thank you for listening. The Thank theme you so song much. is by Luis Flores. Uh, check out our website, DuendeBelize.com, and our Instagram, at DuendeBelize. Um, shoot us an email if you have our email addresses. Give us a call Duende if you love Belize. us. We miss you. I don't think it's at DuendeBelize. I think it's you say Duende. at before these things because. For Instagram? Yeah. I don't know. All right, anyway. Love you guys. Hey, stay Caribbean cool. God, is that really our catchphrase? <laughs> <laughs>